Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. This is Richard here again, and it is our joy to be coming to you today. Prayer is one of the most excellent means of nourishing the new nature and of causing the souls to flourish and prosper. It is a way to a life of communion with God. Encouragement from Jonathan Edwards Cultivate a habit of communion with God. This will produce that inward peace which will make you superior to your trials. The Wisdom of John Flavel You don't need me to tell you of our tumultuous times. Yet, as the Bible says, we were born and reborn for such a time as this. Fear not what we see around us. Prayer brings us the abundant life promised. Our host, Fred, would love to encourage you to a growing, biblical, dynamic, sincere prayer life. And now, here he is, Fred. Welcome back to the paddock here at the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I am, of course, the principal of the podcast. Most people are called hosts, but I am the principal. And we are back here again to finish the last lengthy episode we have of season five, incredibly enough, and then we will move into our October surprise. Today is the last of our series on How God Answers Prayer, the biblical edition. I will, just for convenience, be republishing, just in case you would like to hear them or anyone who is new hasn't heard them yet. Welcome, by the way. If you are new or if you are back, thank you for listening. I I hate to forget that part. But I will be republishing, again, the personal prayer testimonies throughout the month of October as well. Like I said, just in case you want to kind of catch up and listen. But as we have said before, our experience is not our guide, our solid, rock-solid foundation for anything that we want from the Word of God, or that we want to learn from the Word of God. And so, How God Answers Prayer, the biblical edition, they're actually the most critical ones. October 1st, we will finish, we will begin to finish A Call to Prayer by J.C. Ryle. And we also have a major announcement as well. If you didn't know, our October surprise consists of episodes every day, shorter ones, but just a celebration and This year, we will be looking at J.C. Ryle and suggestions he has for Christians who already pray. But today, we are going to finish up How God Answers Prayer. This is part three. We did an introduction as well. We're going to talk today about God telling us no, because he does say yes. He does say wait. We'll look at that later. He does say yes with a twist, and he also tells us no. And the first two looks that we had, the first two episodes of this series on God answering prayer, were a little bit hard for me to do because there is no way to guarantee the answer to our prayers. And there are many people out there who might give us, do this, this, and this, have this attitude and that attitude and this attitude, and then God will answer every one of your prayers. But it's just not the case. And there was no opportunity in those, I thought, to explain that. But today, we will put into perspective why he answers the way he answers. And it is a great subject and a great thing to learn and something that we have to grow into. 
So again, as we talk about this today, know that you're going to grow into these concepts or this concept if you haven't. And we've talked over the last five years that there's no magic way to make sure our prayers are answered. There's no magic way to approach God. I would love to say it if there was, but there isn't. And there's a reason. All our prayers are heard and all our prayers are answered, but they are not always answered the way we want. And it's not always yes. And we see Paul and one of his prayers, and it's a prayer born from distress. And the answer is no. And the amazing part is he is completely content with a no. And the why he's completely content with a no will explain why God answers prayers, our prayers, in different ways, and why we can't manipulate him to get what we want. We have our own desires. We fight the flesh. Everyone does. We will see today that Paul does as well. And it takes time through reading his word and praying, as we have said before, John 17, 3, learning of who God is and who Christ is. That's eternal life, remember. But it takes that and it takes a thorough reading and sincere prayer with the expectation of God giving us the good answer and the answer we need. So until we learn why, when he says yes, when he says yes, sort of, and when he says wait, and when he says no, it brings him the same glory and it causes us the same amount of thankfulness, whichever one they are, because there's a key to this. And Paul knows that key. We find that key in Romans 8, 28 through 30. Verse 28 starts like this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I have heard Christians use that verse a lot, and it does bring us hope, but there is a perspective on it, on that verse, and that perspective is found in the next two verses, because there he goes on, Paul goes on to say, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So we see in verse 30 that our salvation is is finished. It's unalterable. Because salvation, the the very definition of salvation in this verse is we're predestined, called, justified, and glorified. If If we were to fall short of that, it wouldn't be salvation. But we have that salvation. That's the definition. So we have that great hope that our salvation is sure despite our struggle with sin. But 29 is the key. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And I don't know what you want out of life. I know there are typical things that we would all really, really like, no matter where we're at, or what time, or what time we live in. But what God has for us is to become conformed to the image of his son, or sanctification, theologians call that. To live more and more like Jesus, to live from the inside out more and more like Jesus, is his goal for us now. And that sometimes is at cross-purposes with what we want, and that's where we struggle. And what makes all things work together for good, not a blanket promise that we'll get whatever we want and our lives will be great, because it's not. And what keeps it from becoming a trite saying? I hear people in the world who have no idea about salvation, they have no relationship with Christ, and they say, I believe, 
Everything has a reason. Yes, it does. There are reasons for everything. But it's not a great comfort if you don't know Christ. Sometimes it's not a great comfort if you do know Christ, as we will see. Because if you don't know Christ, he's in the process of humbling you to bring you to the point of salvation. And that means trouble in your life. And if you are a Christian, as we will see, he's in the process of purifying us, which also means that trouble trouble is coming because that's how we grow, as we will see. So it's not a panacea. That verse isn't a panacea. And as we have seen, what makes that verse neither that trite saying or a promise that everything's just going to be rosy in our lives in this world is the fact that his goal for us is to be more like Jesus, to grow spiritually. Now, there are some things in this process that are terrific. Paul also knew, and from 1 Corinthians, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. So this isn't a discontent because of who God made us, because we are the people we're supposed to be fit for his kingdom and fit to work for work in his kingdom. And, the, and by grace, we, we are who we are. And I agonize sometimes over this podcast because I wish I was more articulate. I wish I was smarter, more insightful. I wish I was able to more clearly motivate God's people to pray than I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this is one of the things, as you know, if you have been following, that he has called me to do. And I glory in that. I thank him for that because it is, as I've said before, a privilege to do. Now, I told you Paul was in, dis- in distress. So if we go to if we go to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, we are going to find out why he is under distress, why he is having this distress. And he begins in verse 7 saying, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's just told us about that, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. So whatever this is, we're not talking today about what that thorn in the flesh is, and it's not your wife or your husband. Paul didn't have a wife, and there's much speculation about that, but that's not our concern today. He was in distress because there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Now, the interesting thing is, I very often look at Paul as perfect. Many of the biblical characters I look at as perfect. But earlier in Corinthians, Paul says, I buffet my body to make it my slave in order that having preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. And it's something along those lines. So Paul was already in the habit of buffeting his own body. But in our humanness, in our flesh, because of the blessings that we have, even though they're not as great as Paul's, and even as we are set out to buffet our own bodies, just like Paul did, it isn't enough. We need more buffeting. In Paul's case, he needed a messenger of Satan to buffet him because he knew he wasn't all that. For all the things he did and all the things he heard and all the things he was able to write, moved by the Holy Spirit and the people he brought to salvation, exalting himself was a real temptation. So that was his distress. And then he says, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. That's verse 8. In verse 9, God tells him no. We'll read the verse in a bit. But God tells him no. And then 
Paul goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What makes me, personally, in distress sometimes over this podcast is because I don't want to boast in my weakness. And I have to pray all the time that God uses my weaknesses somehow in His power to accomplish His will, and that's to help God's people to pray and to grow in prayer myself. But Paul, having the answer no, says, I would rather boast in my weakness. And then in verse 10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. And we'll finish that here in a minute. And Paul knew that. He knew. He was an Old Testament scholar. And he had, well, two verses, two passages explain his goals what his focus was. Acts twenty twenty four. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That was his goal. Not his life. Nothing in his life was dear to him except finishing that course. And then in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. And that's the the perfection in Christ, the upward call of Christ that he hasn't laid hold of yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever he gloried in before, he's put behind him, even in the Christian life. He doesn't go around and bragging about how many people he's brought to salvation, how much money he's raised, or how much good he's done. He presses on to what God has called him to. That's his mission. That's his purpose. And being proud is antithetical, the opposite of that mission. And Paul knew, and we're just going to touch on some things here. Paul knew, Psalm 51, he knew what David wrote, 16 and 17, For thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offerings. That's verse 16. That's like Paul saying, look at all the service I'm giving to God. Look at all the things I do for God. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. That's the sacrifice. That's the burnt offering. And even David said, God, you don't delight in that. If you did, I would, I would give it. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And you know why it's called a broken and contrite heart? Because of our pride, our flesh, we have to be broken before we are contrite. That he doesn't despise. Paul knew that. The last thing he wanted was to exalt himself. And then, you know this is one of my favorites, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. God says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? I love doing the podcast. It is my ministry. But God says, I don't need you. He tells us all, I don't need you. In mercy, he uses us. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? Verse 2 is the key, though, for today. For my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being. The Lord declared that. And then he goes on. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's what God values from us, is that broken and contrite spirit, trembling at his word. 
being in his presence and knowing that it's all about him and not about us. We don't have any excuses. Peter and James tell us to humble ourselves as well, don't they? And so when we get the answer, whether it's yes, yes with a twist, wait or no, what we realize is because he wants us to be conformed to his, the image of his son, those answers move forward his agenda, not necessarily ours. And we can't, we can't rejoice in those things. Even the yeses are not enough. And the yeses with a twist. Our inner man wants to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you can have all the stuff and all the junk in the world. And your new inner man would be calling out to be more like Christ. To press on, as Paul says, to the goal. And to be that contrite heart, as we have already alluded to, we have to have trials. We've been over it. James 1, Romans 5, and Hebrews 12. We've talked about those before. Without those trials and tribulations and discipline, we will never get to where Paul got. That's why he was in a trial. That's why he was in distress. Back to Paul. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the mercies of God, that's mine, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning these things, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And not Paul's power, but God's power. God is most glorified when we live for him and we give to him our weakness and then marvel at what he does at it. We don't talk about it much. My voice, unbelievably to me, is heard in 57 57 different countries around the world right now. And it's a glory to God. My voice is awful. I don't have a radio voice. We've talked before. I don't have a platform. And to even think that my voice is heard in those places is something I never thought. Thank you, Jesus. And he tells us all, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. This thorn in the flesh is going to stick around, Paul. You need it. You can't exalt yourself. You'd be the worst minister ever if you went around bragging about what you did and who you were and the revelations that you've seen. And we've seen it. We've seen all kinds of people brag about those things. First night again, and he, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly then, Paul says, Most gladly I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have to tell you, I struggle with weaknesses, insults, distresses, and persecutions, and with difficulties. I was in a full-blown panic yesterday when I couldn't find any of my computer files. And we have to trust that when he says, yes, it's what we need that will grow us and humble us, make us thankful, make us realize that they are gifts from him and not things that we have earned. And when he says yes with a twist, whatever that twist is, why, for whatever reason or however that prayer was not exactly what we prayed, it's because it wouldn't be good for us to get exactly what we asked for in those moments. And when we have to wait, that is a test of our faith as well. We haven't talked about it, but that's a test of our faith as well. And when he says no, what he wants from his children is, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast that the answer is no. 
that you, Jesus, might make something of the little fish and the little loaves that we have, the sacrifices, building him a house, those little things that he doesn't need from us, that we might realize those are privileges and glory that he has given us the opportunity to do them, to use us in that way. And again, give him the glory. And then tell everyone around us that it is because of his glory that those things are true. And that's what Paul does. That's what he does in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about all the things he doesn't brag about and puts them into perspective. And so when we come to the fact that our prayers are yes, yes a little, wait, and no, we have to trust that it is because of his will that those things are true. And that is good for us. When we pray for something, I told you, I think, in the last episode, that I prayed for many years to do what I'm doing right now. And I thought I needed different tools. And there was no way I could get those tools and couldn't even get them now if it wasn't for the grace of God. The things he's given me, the, the place he's brought me in my life, I would have none of those things. Wouldn't be able to do this. And that's a glory. And it's a privilege. And it is a gift. It's nothing I did. Even my inconsistencies, he uses somehow. I listen to myself and I'm disappointed very many times. And somehow he uses those. Now, I mentioned three passages before. And when you're feeling low and when you're feeling down, one of the things you're feeling down about, most likely, is that you are not perfect. You're not mature yet. Even if you have the right perspective, you feel down. I feel down in my weaknesses. But James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you want to be whole, if you want to be a mature Christian, guess what? Trials are coming your way. Not the thorn in the flesh that Paul had to endure, but trials are coming your way because they mature us. Romans 5. What else do we long for as human beings? Hope. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We talked about that last episode as well. And if you want that hope, and that proven character, and that perseverance, the perseverance that we all need, tribulations are coming. And Paul says we exult in those because we know the end of them. How many times do we run and hide and cry when a tribulation, a hard time comes? Paul says we need to learn to exult in those. And then my favorite, Hebrews 12. We've talked about this a lot, but to me it's one of the most important ones. Starts in verse 4. Jesus is our example, the joy set before him. Verse 4 he says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, when you're striving against sin, that's referencing back to the fact that we need to set aside those sins that so easily beset us. We need to be working on those. John Owen called it mortifying the flesh. We need to be working on that. And he makes the point, you have troubles, you have discipline, and you do because we need it. 
just like Paul not buffeting his body enough? I can't even imagine that. But obviously it wasn't, or Satan wouldn't have been allowed to buffet Paul's body. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. That passage was used early on in my Christian life as well as a rebuke from a brother. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And this is the scary part for me too, the implication of verse 9 in Hebrews 12. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10 is the scary part. For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But, that's a contrast word, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. The implication to me there is, sometimes our discipline isn't for a short time. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, this is the most glorious of verse in this passage. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I have touched the outer edges of the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And it is more exhilarating than I can even express. I haven't been able to stay there, not for very long anyway. And the point is, God tells us no. But when he says no, or when he says yes, or when he gives us a little bit of what we want, but not all of it, or when he tells us to wait, that is from our Father for our good. And we can't get to that humility without the trials and the tribulations, and the discipline of the Lord. And I know the sorrow of all of those, and I wish I could tell you that wasn't true, but it is. My beloved brethren and my sisters in Christ, it's not good for us to get everything we wanted. And our wise Heavenly Father knows just what we need at any moment. So there's no magic formula. If we want to get to the point where we say, truly from our souls, Thy will be done and not my will. Trouble is coming in various ways and in various degrees. And sometimes our prayers are going to be met with, My grace is sufficient for you. That's enough for us. Glory to God when he says yes, because we know that is growing us closer to him and making us more like his son. Glory to God when he says yes, but not everything, or with a little twist from what we wanted. In those, in the personal powerful prayer results, the one called the funeral, my heart longed for the salvation of my dad, but I didn't know the pain that I would have to go through to be put into his house for a month. I certainly didn't like that circumstance. And the tears that I shed for him, and even the tears that I shed when I told him he was my hero. But all those things were yes, but not the way I wanted them or expected them. But God knows what he's doing. 
and when he tells us to wait, and when he tells us no, it is for our good that we would, like Paul, finally become content with our weaknesses, insults, distresses, and persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when we are weak, he shows his strength in conforming us to his Son. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to talk to you and to come to you and to be excited every day to come to you and pour our hearts out before you and to tell you what our hearts need and want. And then, Lord, like the psalmist, help us to eagerly watch and like Abraham's servant, to love it when you say yes exactly the way and to not, like Balaam, pursue the things that we really, we, that really aren't good for us. It took him so long to finally come back to you and say, I'll just speak what God wants me to speak, and then I'm going home. And holy God, we glorify you like Abraham did at the life of Lot, even though you didn't save the whole city, and to make us, sweet Jesus, contented like Paul was with our weaknesses. Buffet us like Jeremiah says, but not in harshness. Keep us from exalting ourselves and make us to glorify you. We present this time to you in your holy name because of your mercies. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives so that in the end we will hear, well done, slave, enter into your master's joy. Sweet Jesus, do what, what, what I can't do. And for all of us, whatever ministry you've called us in, do through us what we can't do by ourselves and glorify yourself and humble us so that we enjoy fully our relationship with you. The humble will hear it and rejoice and the humble will say, Amen. Truly, Lord, answer this prayer in all of our lives. Amen.